Hi there. Thanks for joining us. I really want to thank you for listening and keeping on listening. It took a whole village to create baby magic. Thank you, Natalia, Avraham, Gahil Zabar, and thank you to all the women that I have served over the years. This week, I'm super excited. I'm presenting Beth Emerge, who's an amazing force of nature. She's a doula, a youth worker, a placenta lady, a herbalist, and a poet. Hello, Beth. I'm very, very happy to have you uh, joining me for my Baby Magic podcast. Um, Would you like to just introduce yourself for our audience? Sure. My name is Beth Merch, and I have been a birth worker in various capacities for about 15 years. I'm a full-spectrum birth worker. Um, I'm a radical reproductive justice activist. Uh, I'm also an internationally competing spoken word artist and a proud cat mom. So the very first question I'm going to ask you is what is a doula? Good question. <laughs> um, well, the term doula means, uh, depending on who you ask, it means servant or slave, which is one of the reasons why I'm not super comfortable with the term as a white person it feels pretty uncomfy taking on that language and i wouldn't expect a person of color to voluntarily take that on i feel like we could just choose a better term altogether um but it's colloquial colloquially come to mean um someone who supports people um through pregnancy childbirth and beyond in various capacities and um yeah that's kind of how i got started was um i thought gosh wouldn't it be great if i could help people have babies and i would be a team member with doctors and nurses and midwives and we'd all work together and it would be a beautiful happy world right so how did that all work out for you Uh, not well. (laughs) (laughs) That actually leads nicely into my next question. Um, You're a radical doula. So what does that mean? Uh, Well, basically, I refuse to accept the code of conduct um, required by most bodies, certifying bodies, in the fact that I believe in a person's autonomy in making their own birth choices. And I also um, believe that doulas and other birth workers have the right to decide what feels best for them and not necessarily what the government tells them is the best course of action. Um, Because For me, birth, like life, happens when you're making other plans. And um, you're going to be put in situations where the best option is to go with what your your gut or your heart tells you is the right thing to do. And I feel like there should be more room for that. 
Um, also, I'm pretty, I'm pretty outspoken and a little fiery when it comes to certain topics like um, family birth or unassisted birth, um, a person's managing their own prenatal care, postpartum care, abortion care, miscarriage support. Um, I believe that the right way to do things is the way that feels best for the person living those experiences. And that may be doing things on their own or choosing very selectively who will accompany them through these journeys. So you touched on one, um, on one point that I think is interesting to delve into a little bit more. And I've been thinking a lot about the so-called professionalization of the doula, um, the doula task, not right. only professionalization, the entrepreneurial aspect of the whole activity. What do you think about that? I feel like in an ideal world, um, money wouldn't be an option. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, sorry, I didn't phrase that properly. Money wouldn't be an aspect that we would be concerned about. Um, this would be care that you would be receiving from people in your life. Um, and, you know, we wouldn't be living in a society where we need to ask vast sums of money from marginalized people who need our care the most. We would, we would be able to support them and rely on other people in our community to do the things that they're really good at. And maybe that's baking bread or that's bringing you a chicken or <laughs> sewing your clothes in exchange for helping them birth babies or whatever they need. Um, I wasn't kidding when I said I was radical. <laughs> so um, I know that you're also a herbalist. And I'm going to Amateur ask you, inspiring herbalist. <laughs> oh, I think I think we all have the herbalist within us. As soon as you have a relationship with medicinal plants, I consider you a herbalist. It's oh, one of wonderful. those other things that's become professionalized and kind right. of uh, changed into something that it really originally wasn't. Right. So my question for you is, what is your favorite medicinal herb, and and why? Ooh. I really identify with calendula. Um, it's, it's such a lovely, cheerful plant. It's very gentle and soothing. Um, it, it's like a balm for the soul. It heals so many irritations, cuts, scrapes, bruises, and it's just so loving and gentle. I just feel such a relationship with her. What, uh, what's your favorite use of calendula? I like using calendula in sits baths and as well as in skincare products, um, like diaper creams, um, lotions, soaps, those sorts of things. I find it's really, it's really a helpful plant for people with irritations to their skin or who are just very sensitive all around. It is a lovely flower. It really is. So what do you, talk to me about the placenta. What, what do you think about placentas? Um, it, they're, they're one of the, the placenta is one of the things about birth that hardly ever gets spoken about. You know, we think about prenatal 
care and the baby and a little bit of breastfeeding and we we miss out a huge part which is mama placenta so so talk to me about the placenta what's your relationship oh the placenta to me is like the unsung hero of pregnancy and birth and postpartum i feel like just when i think i've learned of all the magic that grandmother placenta teaches us like I learned something new and it amazes me. I got, I got started in this world of placenta um, because I was reading a birth story online where someone just very casually men mentioned that they cut off a piece of their placenta and ate it. And I was absolutely scandalized. I was like, what do you mean you ate your placenta? Uh, and I was so obsessed with it. I was like, why would this person do such a thing? And I started reading about it. And then I happened to have a client come along the way who was, who was Asian. And in their culture, it is, in, in many Asian cultures, it's, it's common to consume placenta in your postpartum period. Um, and it was a service that they were looking for. And at the time there was no one in my area who had even considered such a thing. So I thought I come from a hunting family. Like I can, I can do this. Right. So I started, um, preparing placenta medicines. And when you handle that many placentas, you can't help but learn, um, about the different shapes and smells and textures the lengths of cords, uh, yolk sacs, like um, just, and all the hormones involved and how they all have their special job and how the placenta basically um, is a cushion that like nourishes the, the fetus throughout the pregnancy and then assists everybody postpartum by making sure that they get their blood volume and that breast milk starts coming in and um, it's really, it's, it's a bountiful organ. It's a temporary organ. It's only in us for a short period of time and then we expel it. And um, a lot of people say that there is like a magical quality or um, like a spiritual quality to the placenta. And I, I really like connect to that because um, to me, it's an organ that tells stories. When I look at a placenta, I can tell so much about someone's pregnancy, um, about their birth experience, about their health. Um, and also like, it's just, it's a magical organ. I can't say it enough. Like, um, I feel like, I feel like that moment where you separate a baby from the placenta, um, is so profound and can be almost violent in our culture and upsetting, I think, for the baby, which is why I really, um, one of the reasons why I'm really in favor of prolonged uh, cord attachment, um, like unless you're, unless you're going to consume your placenta, like there's no reason to cut the umbilical cord. Um, you know, or at least not right away. If it's, you know, something you're overly fussy about, just leave it attached for a few hours or a few days and um, make it part of your, your baby moon. 
So I'm going to move to another subject which isn't so magical, and that is body image. It's so important in our culture, yes. and especially during pregnancy, when the body changes so dramatically. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about it. Um, how does it affect the pregnant uh, mothers that you work with, and how does it affect you, and what do you have to say about the, the whole concept of the the body image. Oh gosh, I could I could teach a whole university course on this. <laughs> well, this is just a small podcast, so you'll just have to give everyone a little taste, right. and then they'll come back for more. <laughs> Tell us a little in a in a nutshell. Yeah. What. So, throughout my life, I have always been a larger bodied person. Uh, I'm not afraid to use the word fat, but I know that it's a word that can be really activating for some people. Um, and if it is activating for you or triggering for you, I would say sit with that and ask yourself why. Um, and I feel like because of the different experiences I've had as a fat person, um, it gives me some empathy towards what pregnant people experience in their bodies because you're moving slower, you're heavier, um, you have different concerns around like stable furniture and clothing. And I, I can relate to that. Um, I've had people also tell me that they felt like they felt safe with me discussing their body concerns because I wasn't someone in a super slender body who didn't live on like green shakes and like <laughs> an air, right? Like I, I, and I'm very much someone who believes that food should primarily be nurturing to you. And um, I don't believe in telling people what they should or shouldn't eat when they're pregnant. I think that they know their bodies best. And um, if that means having eggs Benedict, then go for it. Yeah, eat the hollandaise sauce. I said it, send me to jail, I don't care. Uh, and I find that in our culture, like we're so afraid of being fat that as our bodies swell with new life, we become very uncomfortable with the fact that um, we are entering a phase in our lives where our bodies look like the very thing we fight so hard not to look like, right? Like, um, I recently gave a, a webinar on, um, body liberation and, and, um, you know, I said, my body is exactly the kind of body that people have nightmares about having, you know, like sit with that for a minute. That's heavy stuff. Um, so I really, like, I understand why, why it would be hard for some people, especially in our culture where we have disordered thinking around eating and food, um, how watching our bodies grow in a way that we're not used to, or maybe a way that we know that they grow, but we're, we fought so hard to prevent. Um, you know, it's frustrating. And I feel like care providers are also complicit in this negative body image culture because um, the level of fat shaming I have personally witnessed 
as a birth worker in, you know, the community that I work in and the surrounding area has been absolutely shocking. I've been present when an OB has told a client that she's too fat to push a baby out of her vagina. Um, I've had uh, midwives tell clients, you know, like you're gaining weight too fast at this rate. You'll be, you know, size whatever when you're nine months pregnant and that's unacceptable. Um, there's, there's a big, there's this like weird ritual that care providers have around like the weighing of the body and the blood pressure taking and it becomes like a sloppy way of gauging how someone is doing within the shell that is their body, right? Like, I feel like it, it's an easy way to sidestep having a conversation with someone about like their well-being. You know, are you, are you accessing nutritional foods? Are you getting the sleep that you need? What's the stress level like in your life? Who are your supports right now? Um, none of these things are being asked. You're just being given a number and being told like cluck, cluck, cluck. You know, you're getting too big. Your blood pressure is too high. And there seems to be very little accommodation for the fact that just the act of being weighed and having your blood pressure monitor is stressful for many people. <laughs> yes, thank you. I know that this is a huge subject and, and it makes me sad when indeed someone comes to me pregnant and is just eating green shakes and a muffin. Oh, it's so, it's so sad. It's so sad. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm not necessarily one of these you're eating for two people, but like, you are trying to like, make like your body's doing a lot of work during pregnancy. And yeah. you need to sustain your body by taking in nutrition. Yeah. Right? And you should eat freely and you should eat foods that feel good to you. And, um, you know, with less judgment, like from others, from ourselves, from our mothers, our mother-in-laws, like whoever, like it just needs to stop. So you're a radical, a radical doula, a radical person. If you could change one thing, if you could be the absolute ruler of the whole universe and you could just change one thing, right now, what would it be? I would end capitalism. <laughs> I would smash it. <laughs> I like, I honestly believe that our current economic model is toxic and that it's kind of at the root of all of our problems. And if we found alternate ways to support ourselves and our communities, that we could be a lot healthier, we could be a lot happier, and um, we would be handing our children a world that had different priorities. And I think, I think the time is coming because I think we're reaching critical mass. So of all of your varied and valuable activities, you're, you are a spoken word artist. Can you, can you treat us to one of your poems? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the poem I was going to share with you, it 
contains one bad word. Is that okay? Define bad. It's the curse word, oh. but for artistic purposes. This is my podcast, my lovely, and you're allowed to say whatever you want. Well, okay, you're not allowed to, well, if you said some things, I'd be quite shocked, of but course. you know what those things are, so <laughs> we'll go with it. Okay, so um, I'm going to give a content note that this poem discusses um, body image and weight, and also my, t my volume level fluctuates, so uh, don't be surprised when I'm, like, loud, I guess. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this poem is called Fat. This poem is dedicated to the guy on the bus who spat in my hair and called me fat. Look, buddy, I get it. I'm a symptom of an epidemic. One of those people shown on the nightly news only from the neck down, wearing ugly polyester pants that haven't been sold in any store since 1973. And I get it. You think I wouldn't be such a burden on the healthcare system if I would only stop eating so many cheese puffs and drinking so much pop. The population is booming. Resources are dwindling. Houses are being built closer and closer together. We need to conserve. We need to cut back in wealth fatties like me, we're the antithesis of moderation. I mean, after all, we need extra polyester for our ugly pants. We need extra reinforcement for our ugly furniture. We need seatbelt extenders for when we fly in airplanes. And I know if I got to know you a little bit better, you'd feed me some lines about how you're just so concerned about my health, that you just want me to be happy that you'd be proud to be my friend if i was smart funny and thin spare me your breath do you think that i haven't thought about this do you think that i just woke up one day and decided to wear the entire history of my body on the outside of my skeleton for people to view and pass judgment on imagine a world where you literally do not fit clothes rooms conversations relationships imagine being out on a date and having the server point you alone to the healthier options menu every day i get up carefully do my makeup and choose a fly dress knowing there's a 75 percent chance some asshole in a passing car is going to throw a half full slurpee at me and make oinking noises don't you think i haven't stood in front of my mirror grabbed at my extra flesh and screamed about how much i hate myself living in this body is hard and it's it's not because adipose tissue is heavy it's because people seem to have this need to look past my weight to find my value but i don't need to step out of my fat suit to know how gorgeous I am. Let Queen Bee take you to school on the subject of fat, for instance. Did you know that fat is an acronym? Fucking amazing tits. When I walk down the street, I am more than a fat woman. I am a force to be reckoned with. Call my thighs the pearly gates, because ooh, what lies between them is heaven. Beyonce may have a little jelly, but I got me some custard. My body is so much more than a wonderland. It's a bouncy castle, and I got folks lined up around the block for this attraction. And if I want to take a pie home with me tonight, it's none of your business. Do I know how many spin classes it will take to burn off this piece of cheesecake? Yeah, just one. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Oh, I I knew it would be amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing a, a, a huge, wonderful part of yourself. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of Baby Magic. Next week, we'll be featuring you. I'm going to be talking about the spectrum of care. What does that mean? How do we find care? Who will help us through this childbearing year? Or if we choose not to have a childbearing year, who are our helpers? Who are our fellow travelers? The doula, the midwife, the doctor, the OBGYN, or you, yourself, your body, your spirit, your sovereignty. Thanks for listening. Spread the love. Stay well and keep on.